conspiracy beliefs are not increasing or exclusive to the right. This week on the Science of Politics. For the Niskanen Center, I'm Matt Grossman. Supporters of the QAnon conspiracy theory were implicated in the January 6th storming of the Capitol, and some former supporters have now been elected as Republican members of Congress. So is conspiracy thinking on the rise? And has it taken over one side of American politics? It turns out these conspiracy beliefs are pretty rare, and conspiracy thinking overall does not align with the left-right political spectrum. On this week's special conversational edition, I talked to Joseph Yuzensky of the University of Miami and Adam Enders of the University of Louisville about their research on conspiracy beliefs. We talk about several recent articles they've published together with co-authors, including American Politics in Two Dimensions in the American Journal of Political Science and Why Do People Believe COVID-19 Conspiracy Theories in the Harvard Kennedy School Misinformation Review. They both find little evidence for a rise in conspiracy theory beliefs due to the pandemic. Instead, today's conspiracy theories draw on a long tradition of similar views. And they both say that although we are prone to noticing conspiracy theories on the political right, conspiracy beliefs do not align with the right or the left. Here is our conversation. So, Joe, you've been uh, studying conspiracy theory beliefs for for a long time. Does it seem like uh, the same kinds of conversations develop with each uh, new round? And what what are the big myths that you see repeated? Well, the the biggest myth that keeps getting repeated, seemingly, you know, going back decades, is that now is the time of conspiracy theories. You know, particularly in 2020, much of the reporting about conspiracy theories and misinformation more generally uh, adopted the tone of, you know, this is a problem and it's worse now than it's ever been in the past. The problem is that if you go back through the media coverage for the last 60 years, journalists have always been saying this. And you can find every year where they say, this is the golden age. But the problem is that that those claims are never made with any evidence to back them up. And they can't, obviously, always be true. So I, I, I think that's the biggest myth. I mean, if, if I was to dig a little bit deeper than that, in 2020, as, as an example, much of the coverage said QAnon is big and getting bigger. And it's gone mainstream. And it's going to take over the country. And... Adam and I have been polling on this for um, a few years now, and we're just not finding these increases. When you poll on QAnon properly, it's small, it's stable, and it's one of the fringier beliefs out there. Yet, the media coverage was, this is huge. So, Adam, you've uh, been looking at who believes these conspiracy theories, and I'd say the conventional wisdom is that, at least at the moment, that this is a, a bunch of Trump supporters um, on on the far right. But you've been finding that it's sort of an orthogonal set of, of beliefs and related to, to some other kind of anti-establishment views. So, so talk us through those, those results and how we should interpret them. So we, um, we theorize about and operationalize this anti-establishment dimension of politics as being a sort of confluence of conspiratorial and populist and Manichaean thought. Um, so generally speaking, this dimension of opinion captures uh, a disillusionment and disenchantment with and a suspicion and a distrust of the political establishment including politicians, parties, uh, democratic institutions, and, and the media. Um, 
And, and, and we find that this, this anti-establishment dimension really doesn't overlap with the, the left right one. They are orthogonal. They're un, uncorrelated. Um, because people on the political left and on the political right feel this way about politics. Uh, there's nothing inherently partisan or ideological in the liberal conservative sense, at least, about disdain for the establishment. Uh, to be to be anti-establishment is to reject parties and party labels. So um, we see sort of anti-establishment tendencies and, and left-right uh, concerns as being um, distinct sort of ingredients of mass opinion. So let's make that a little bit more concrete. What what kinds of questions are there that that do correlate uh, with the kind of belief in conspiracy theories, and and what, um, you know, what 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 is what do the survey questions look like that that cause someone to be high on this this dimension? Uh, we ask people uh, the extent to which um, they think that um, small groups are controlling politics. Uh, the extent to which everything is not is um, as it seems. Um, uh, we ask about um, uh, people's sort of orientation toward the system or um, uh, or toward sort of politics more generally. Do they think that all politicians are liars? Uh, that we need to do more to um, sort of elect um, regular sort of folks and not uh, lying politicians to to public office. So, Joe, the I, maybe the reason that uh, people uh, believe that things are more correlated with the left right spectrum is because we see these QAnon protests um, kind of coinciding with with some other pro Trump uh, constituencies. Um, so, so I guess, what, why is it that at the moment, uh, the, the kind of public display of these conspiracy theories appears to be more on the, the political right? And, and what should we learn from that? Well, in terms of the public display of it, I mean, for four years, we had Trump as president, and he was very much a, a, a president who used conspiracy theories to build and maintain a coalition. So, because the president has the you know the biggest megaphone in the world, um, obviously we were going to notice whenever he engaged in conspiracy theorizing, which he did often. And beyond just him using that rhetoric, he built a coalition of people who liked that rhetoric very much and shared beliefs um, with that rhetoric. So, um, once he he built this group of people around him who had these views, and he continued to speak to them with conspiracy theories. Obviously, that was going to get a lot of coverage, and it was going to seem as if, oh my gosh, the right has you know gone down the rabbit hole. But it's sort of an optical illusion. What we were really seeing was just one person, Trump, with a bunch of people who are already conspiracy-minded. I mean, I don't think Trump was changing a lot of minds. He wasn't turning non-conspiracy theorists into conspiracy theorists. He was just bringing um, people who are already conspiracy-minded into the political process and give them, giving them a more prominent role. But I'll say something else, too. I mean, it's it, it has been thought in mainstream circles for a long time, perhaps going back to the work of Richard Hofstadter, that it's the right who are the conspiracy theorists and not the left. So people were saying, oh, it's the right, you know, it's the right wing of the country that, that are more prone to this than the left. And they were saying that long before Trump came along. 
is it possible that there's a more general supply issue there that um, conservative media and and other, I guess, parts of the the American right mean that there's just more information out to spread coming out to the right conspiracy theorists than than the left, or or do you think this really is Trump specific? Well, for right now, it's Trump specific, but there's always been this view that the you know that the right does it more than the left. Um, but in surveys, when we measure generalized conspiracy thinking, we don't find that it's more the right than the left. When we look at large groups of conspiracy theories, we find that the left is just as likely to buy in as people on the right. So uh, what a lot of this comes down to is, you know, what's the media paying attention to? And given the biases in the media, oftentimes they're going to pay more attention to the conspiracy theories that the other guy believes that the other side buys into and they'll ignore the ones on their own side. Right. And, and there are psychological reasons for that. You know, our conspiracy theories aren't conspiracy theories. They're conspiracy facts. It's the other guy's conspiracy theories are conspiracy theories. So Adam, you've also connected this to attitudes about uh, science. Um, but, but again, um, kind of found that, that they, appear on both sides once you ask the right right questions. Um, so so talk about that that association and I guess is there a circumstance in which um, maybe because scientists are, are perceived as as more liberal that 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 kind of attitude would be more associated with the right. As we can expect from any research program, our inferences are only as good as our operationalizations and, and measurement. So, you know, we, we find that many of the studies that are arguing for partisan ideological asymmetries in conspiracy theorizing tend to focus on only a small number of beliefs in specific conspiracy theories that are more popular on the right. Uh, a prime example of that involves climate change conspiracy theories. Um, but you know, skepticism, if not full-blown conspiracism about climate change, has been systematically cultivated on the political right in a top-down fashion uh, in the U.S. for the last 20 years, at least. Um, that's pretty well documented. So uh, if, if political elites from one party or ideological camp are systematically promoting some idea, um, whether it's a conspiracy theory, an issue position, or something else, the party rank and file tend to follow suit. Um, you know, political scientists know that public op opinion formation is substantially a, a top-down affair. Um, so, you know, we've got other examples of that, um, you know, birtherism and many COVID-19 conspiracy theories that Donald Trump explicitly encouraged, um, the deep state, which has sort of become part of the Republican vernacular recently. Um, so to, to sort of differentiate partisan conspiracy theories from others, um, we, we simply look to um, the partisan content of the belief or the lack thereof in the elite communication environment. Um, so if, if a partisan figure or group is implicated in, um, in a conspiracy theory or responsible for spreading the theory, it's going to find asymmetric support among partisans in the mass public. Um, so given, given the influence of partisan motivated reasoning on beliefs and conspiracy theories, it would certainly matter if people viewed scientists as liberals, though I think there's also a, a, pot a potent, you know, nonpartisan, non-ideological version of science denialism and distrust that also leads people toward conspiracy theories involving scientists and science more generally. 
And are you finding that there's any difference um, based on kind of the, the category of the elite? The, the questions you mentioned earlier were sort of, I guess, about the government, but it doesn't sound like this is specific to attitudes about the government. It could, could extend to experts uh, or uh, leaders of any kind. Is, is that right? Or is this more specific to the, the political system? Anybody can be involved in a shadowy cabal. There's not really uh, rules to conspiracy theorizing um, in in that sort of way and who can be involved. Um, So yeah, it it can extend more broadly. So Joe, how did the uh, COVID-19 situation that we've all encountered um, uh, help to to bring conspiracy theories to to the fore? Um, How different were they from from other uh, conspiracy theories? And was there any difference in terms of who was likely to believe those those theories versus others? I think at the beginning of the pandemic, both Adam and I were sort of thinking that, oh my God, you know, this conspiracy theories are going to go through the roof um, during this thing. And that there was just this confluence of, of factors that were going to turn everyone into a COVID conspiracy theorist. Um, luckily we were, we were wrong. And I think that, you know, one way to best describe this is the same theories, just different nouns. Pretty much every goofy theory we heard about COVID-19, we've heard about before, just with a different name. You know, so people were talking about Bill Gates is going to stick us with a vaccine with a chip. Well, it was George Soros before that and the Koch brothers before that and the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and you name it. So it's it's just been the same stuff warmed over with slightly different details to adapt it to new circumstances. So in terms of the theories themselves, there was nothing really new. And in terms of who was believing these theories, I mean, you would get the impression from reading the news about this that people were just getting randomly infected with conspiracy theories, like a virus, whenever they went online. But it really wasn't random. And it really didn't have that much to do with information online. It had to, you know, we were pretty good at predicting who's going to buy into what theories based on who they are. Do they already have high levels of conspiracy thinking? Are they on the left or the right? And if you answer those two questions, you've got a lot of the contours down about who's going to buy into what and when. Having watched this play out, I mean, when we polled on COVID-19 conspiracy theories in early March of 2020, and then we polled in June and then October, we didn't find any increases. So circumstances on the ground changed. People were spending more time online. There were supposedly you know, the pandemic video and all sorts of other nonsense floating around on social media. But the reason why people were buying into these beliefs was because of who they were and how they saw the world. And is there, we've talked about the psychological profile, is there sort of a demographic profile of a conspiracy theory uh, believer, or is it sort of cut across uh, traditional categories like education, race, and uh, gender? Well, I, I, I generally tell people, I say, close your eyes and imagine that, you know, who you think the conspiracy theorist is. And oftentimes people imagine a, middle, a middle-aged, slightly conservative white guy living in his mother's basement with a ham radio. You know, that's a caricature, but the data doesn't bear it out. I mean, men and women are about equally likely to have conspiracy theories, depending on which theories we're talking about. Um, it, it cuts across race and age and uh, generational cohort. 
you will find differences in different studies, but it generally comes down to what particular conspiracy theory you happen to be talking about um, at that time. And does the, in some ways we've talked about the political environment mattering a lot um, with, with Trump, for example, but um, you just said that, that even though we had COVID-19 ongoing, it it didn't um, matter much. So I, I guess I wonder do do signs uh, of of the realism of conspiracy theories matter? I mean, we did have people being told that they couldn't leave their their house except in extraordinary circumstances. Um, we did have decisions made by a small number of people. So I guess I, I wonder why that didn't make more of a difference in in people's belief in in these kinds of ideas. You know, whenever I talk about conspiracy theories, the, the believers say, "Well, there's good evidence for it." And, but here's the interesting thing is that for most of these things, the same evidence is out there for everybody, right? Um, particularly with something like COVID where it's highly salient, but people interact with that evidence in different ways. So it's not really the evidence itself. It's much more, you know, what they already believe when they see that evidence. And a lot of times people will believe in a conspiracy theory, not even know what the theory is. Like you, you have a lot of people who believe that there was a conspiracy to kill JFK in 1963, but then he asked them who did it, and they're like, "I don't know." And 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 there are studies, you know, where you ask people, "Do you think uh, Osama bin Laden is still alive, or do you think he was dead before the Navy SEALs got to him?" And you find a bunch of people who believe both, which is impossible. So it's not it's not some rational thought process where people are going through the information to figure out what's true and what's not. It's people very much relying on the dispositions and worldviews they already have uh, to come to conclusions about the world. And sometimes there's evidence, sometimes there's no evidence. But of course, when you ask people, they'll say, well, I believe it because it's true and there's great evidence for it, even if they don't know what that evidence is. So, Adam, you've uh, experimented with uh, different questions to measure uh, conspiratorial thinking. So tell us about kind of the, the classic ways of, of measuring that and, and maybe any innovations that, that you've made and just how we should think about it. It kind of sounds like a political attitude, but it, it seems like it, it may be something that, that is more of a, a, more of a psychological characteristic of, of individuals. Yeah, so Joe and I um, definitely conceive of conspiracy thinking as a as a predisposition. Um, some others others call it um, conspiracy ideation, conspiracy mentality, or simply um, conspiracism. Um, so uh, you know, Joe Joe ha- has a battery of questions that he created. I I did one a while back. Um, lots of different psychologists have created uh, batteries of questions to measure this thing. Um, what, what they all tend to have in common is confronting respondents with ideas about small groups of shadowy figures um, that are working against the rest of us by violating norms and laws. So each of those elements cuts to the heart of the definition of conspiracy theory. Um, questions also bring in some of the psychological biases that are behind conspiracy beliefs. Um, so, you know, humans, uh, tend to, um, see, um, see patterns and, and uh, instead of sort of, um, noise, right. We're pattern seekers. Uh, we ascribe intentionality instead of assuming 
uh, coincidence. We like certainty more than uncertainty. Um, and uh, this is all to say that you know we sort of like plans and conspiracy theories are great plans. Uh, they, they impose some structure on an otherwise messy world. So um, there are these sort of um, sort of purely psychological ingredients that uh, go into conspiracy theorizing to some extent, at least. So, you know, we might also ask questions that attempt to get at those things, uh, perhaps um, asking respondents uh, to a survey to what extent they believe that nothing is really as it seems uh, or everything is connected once you know where to look. That's kind of getting at intentionality bias and, and pattern seeking. So, and is there any sense of where these come from? Is this something that would show up as heritable in twin studies or be about basic personality characteristics? Or is this uh, something that develops over someone's, someone's lifetime? Do, do we know the roots? Yeah, we, we, don't, we don't really know the roots. Um, you know, I, I suspect that it's uh, not necessarily an inherently political attitude because the psychological biases that I just mentioned are aren't inherently political, right? Um, they're, they're just sort of these innate um, cognitive factors that, that we all engage in. So, um, you know, I, I suppose there is, you know, some, uh, some natural psychological foundation, uh, though uh, we, we just don't really have, uh, we, don't, we don't really have that evidence. Um, the empirical conspiracy theory literature is basically a decade old or so. Um, most of the work started around 2010. Uh, before then, there was no systematic research program into um, into conspiracy beliefs. So um, we, we still have a lot to learn. So Joe, tell us about the QAnon-specific uh, research. How, how did you figure out uh, that it was uh, limited? Um, why didn't it uh, grow over time? And I guess since this has been covered in the media, some people may know some some parts of it, but sort of w which pieces uh, do, do people pick out um, as the as the most common beliefs? So QAnon started in 2017, and it really wasn't attracting much notice 2017 and 2018 until some QAnon supporters wore their regalia to a Trump rally in in. Tampa, uh, here in Florida in, I think, August of 2018. And at that point, it started attracting a lot more media attention because people were saying, who are these people wearing cues at a Trump rally? I mean, it's, is this an important part of the president's coalition? So right after that happened, I happened to have a, a survey about to go into the field in Florida. And we put on there a feeling thermometer where people could express their feelings about the QAnon movement from zero to a hundred with a hundred being, they really like it and zero being they really hate it. And it came in at about a 24. And just as a comparison, uh, we also put Fidel Castro onto the, <laughs> onto the feeling thermometer so people could rate him. And if you know anything about Florida, you know, we don't like Castro here very much. Um, so QAnon came in about two points ahead of Castro, which is no stunning endorsement of QAnon. And a lot of people didn't rate it because they never heard of it. So we continued doing those polls from, uh, with the feeling thermometers, uh, 2019, 2020, 
and haven't found any increases. If anything, we found some slight decreases. So it wasn't as if it was getting more popular over time. And other polling houses, as well as Adam and I, have been asking questions just more directly. You know, are you a believer in QAnon? Do you support QAnon? And we, and when we ask straight up questions like that, we get between five and eight percent, and we haven't found any increase over the last few years. So, when you just get into support for or belief in QAnon, it's a very small fringe movement. Now, the reason why some polls will show bigger numbers for QAnon support is that pollsters often conflate belief in or support for QAnon with belief in conspiracy theories that pre-existed or exist outside of QAnon. So, for example, if you ask, do you think there's widespread elite sex trafficking or the government's run by satanic sex traffickers, you're going to get between 20 and 35%. But those beliefs have been around for a long, long time. Those attitudes have always been there. It's just over the last year, many people have conflated them and confused them for a much smaller group of believers in QAnon. So, Adam, you both uh, tend to measure uh, these uh, conspiracy theories in in surveys, um, but there's a whole huge burgeoning literature on the spread of, of misinformation that mostly uses uh, social media data. So talk a little bit about the relationship between those research agendas and uh, what the, the conclusions are and, and why they why they might differ. They uh, just from an outsider, it seems like. Uh, they tend to find um, more concentrated um, spread of, of misinformation and, ma- and maybe more uh, directly related to political events on the right. Yeah, I, I think I think the difference in conclusions is actually sort of unclear. Um, I, I, I suppose that it regards the the sort of scope of the the social problem of conspiracy theories and misinformation. Um, the the social the work using social media data has historically found um, fairly widespread sharing of misinformation. Um, although some more recent work by people like Brendan Nyhan and Andy Guess are are tempering those initial conclusions. Um, we don't fail using our approach to find widespread belief in um, some conspiracy theories and some misinformation. It, it sort of depends on what exactly we're talking about. Um, as, as Joe was hinting at, you know, there are um, n- not many people really believe in QAnon, but lots of people think that uh, Jeffrey Epstein was murdered, right? Um, so it, um, there is quite a bit of variability depending on what exact conspiracy theory or, or bit of misinformation we're talking about. Um, but I, I think this sort of gets us to a major difference in the emphasis between our um, survey-based approach and the social media data-based approach, which is that the social media approach can only really tell us about sharing, um, which provides some clues about the spread or the scope of conspiracy theorizing, um, whereas we're interested in belief specifically. Um, so, you know, beliefs are tricky, tricky to measure, but Surveys are about the most direct way to capture them, whereas I think it's difficult to um, infer belief from shares in social media data. 
Um, and in fact, you know, some recent research in the, the misinformation correction tradition uh, has, has been finding that oftentimes people share dubious information um, even when they don't completely believe it. Uh, maybe they just believe, you know, a sentiment that it's getting at um, or, you know, you know, maybe just the headline or, or something along those lines. So um, I think that's a, that's a, a big difference. Um, we're making a little bit less of an inferential leap in a sense than maybe some of the conclusions that are made using social media data. Um, I think the other other thing to think about is that um, with social media data, there's a question of unique users. So, you know, we know that coordinated disinformation campaigns tend to involve a small number of individuals with large numbers of accounts spreading conspiracy theories and misinformation via, um, you know, posts and memes and links to, to dubious um, sources, uh, etc., um, and, and in fact, we, we, we saw that happen um, when there was the big push um, after the Capitol riot to, to scrub um, various platforms of QAnon content. So there were a lot less unique users than there were accounts that ended up um, being removed. Is there also a sort of behavior belief uh, divide that, that might cut in the other direction that the social media people might say they're... They're they're looking at what people actually do uh, rather than than just what what they say. Or how, how would you react to that? I was going to say that oftentimes these questions about social media influence always assume some media effect. So they say, "What about the spread of misinformation?" So it sort of assumes that you can only believe it if someone shared it with you, and then once they shared it with you, you automatically adopted it. So you you do have these two sets of of um, research you know, research like ours, looking at what do people believe and then research of what's traversing the internet. And those are two very different things. So just because something's spreading online doesn't mean that people are adopting it or, or that they didn't already believe it before they, before they uh, accessed it and shared it. I mean, I'll give one example of this. Like there's a good amount of people that believe Trump was sent by God. But no one says, why is that idea spreading? How is that idea spreading? Because it's just sort of assumed that people believe this because of their religious identities and their personal worldviews, right? But when it's other types of things that probably aren't true, <laughs> um, we, we assume this language of spread. What about the distinction, if any, between misinformation in that literature and, and conspiracy theories? Is is there misinformation that that isn't conspiracy theories? Is there is there a difference in belief in misinformation versus belief in in conspiracy theories? You know, in some sense, I think the the sort of individual level um, attitudinal ingredients, um, you know, political and and social and psychological. Um, tend to be shared, right, between conspiracy beliefs and beliefs in a lot of misinformation. Though, um, you know, there are different constructs, right? I mean, so con conspiracy theories uh, do involve, you know, a, a, you know, small clandestine, usually small clandestine, uh, you know, nefarious group that is, is sort of working against uh, the rest of us, where that the us is sort of ambiguous and can be interpreted lots of different ways. Whereas misinformation is simply um, on, uh, you know, a, a dubious idea um, or um, a piece of information that sort of cuts against um, uh, expert knowledge or authoritative accounts. 
And I guess, sorry to push this too far, but do you, so do you think that there's, so I guess one interpretation is that there are, there are two different processes as, as we've said, um, but there, there really are different determinants as well, that misinformation is about sort of people just supporting their, their political side with whatever stories they, they come across to share. Um, whereas this is about sort of a deeper belief system. Would, would you buy that? Or do you think we're just getting different findings just because the research design is different? Yeah, I, I think I buy that. Um, uh, you know, mis I think misinformation is maybe on average more likely going to be adopted out of ignorance, perhaps, uh, whereas conspiracy theories, uh, adoption of conspiracy beliefs is going to be a lot more intentional and based on, um, you know, this predisposition to naturally interpret uh, major events and circumstances as the product of conspiracies. So, Joe, how much do we know about changes over time in conspiracy uh, beliefs? Um, Adam said this literature is sort of only 10 years old. So how do we go about kind of comparing to things like JFK assassination beliefs at their at their peak? Um, how do we how do we think about the evolution of these beliefs over time, given changes in the available evidence? So one problem we have is there there isn't a lot of polling on conspiracy theories going back prior to 10 years ago. If you go through the Roper or Gallup archives, you find almost nothing before 2010. In fact, the only things that I've ever been asked on prior to that were JFK conspiracy theories, uh, MLK, Bobby Kennedy, moon landing, um, but just sort of sprinkled throughout the last 50 or 60 years and not, not you know, asked systematically over time. Is that the same for the conspiratorial thinking kinds of broader questions as well? Yeah. So, so our conspiracy thinking scale, we've been asking for almost 10 years now in national surveys, and we found no increases in it. So that's been completely flat for a decade. If you look at something like birtherism, that's been largely stable for 12 or 13 years now. And the only time we we've, we've, haven't found stability is when you have somebody like Trump um, make a big issue out of it in the in the media, in which case you'll get some spikes from time to time. But overall, it's around 22%, and it's been there for more than a decade. So all these claims about beliefs and conspiracy theories increasing, we just don't find evidence for it. We're going to test this more thoroughly in the coming weeks, but um, there isn't any evidence to say people believe these more now than they have in the past. So is there any way to compare back historically, I guess, from either historical accounts or interviews or anything? Would you, would you expect to find that uh, the, the determinants were pretty much the same, the, the ideation was pretty much the same, and the kinds of people who believed them were the same? I mean, I would expect to find that, yes. I, I mean, I, I've made one effort in my book. Uh, American conspiracy theories to go back in time and look at rhetoric in letters to the editor of the New York Times. And, you know, the way that people express conspiracy theories 100 years ago is very much the same as they do it now. And people tend to conspiracy theorize about the same things in the same ways over, over long periods of time. That can't really get us to overtime levels um, the way surveys could. But Given that we have 10 years worth of, of polling data now, I mean, I don't see any reason to say, well, it was different in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. 
And instead, what what I think is that this is a fairly stable, long term disposition. So our measurements um, tend to be fairly stable over long periods of time. Adam, another um, thing that comes up in the misinformation literature is that maybe this is um, kind of expressive responding that that people just want to say any negative thing about Obama uh, or Trump, so you give it to them and they'll they'll say it. Um, to, to what extent uh, there, there's sort of an alternative view, I guess, that says that that people really don't know and they just believe bad things about people they they dislike. So uh, connect that to the conspiracy uh, literature. Is is this about ignorance? Is it about just expressing your dislike for for certain people or institutions? Um, or or do we know that it's a that it's a belief system that people hold internally? I I don't think that beliefs in dubious ideas like conspiracy theories are best thought of as a product of ignorance. Um, in many ways, they're, they're really no different than any other belief. Um, public opinion researchers have, uh, you know, long explained beliefs as the product of um, both these individual level ingredients like political identities and ideologies and values and uh, social orientations like group identity and racial prejudice. Um, and also top-down factors, right? Like the political system in which the beliefs are being constructed uh, and how that constrains choices um, and, and what and how elites are talking about things. Um, so, um, you know, I think, I think people believe things for a reason. Um, that said, um, the, you know, it could be that there is some level of expressive responding on surveys, but, you know, conspiracy theories are have historically, um, you know, um, or the, the label conspiracy theorist has historically been a pejorative. Uh, so, you know, we don't suspect that uh, people are, you know, champing at the bit to, to um, get themselves labeled as crazy or conspiratorial or something along those lines. Um, you know, we certainly do find that um, partisan motivated reasoning is behind lots of different um, um, beliefs and specific conspiracy theories that involve partisan figures. And um, it seems um, it seems that those are, are um, real uh, beliefs rather than expressive responding. And Adam Berinsky has some, some work on that that um, also um, that uh, also sort of confirmed that conclusion. So the January 6th uh, Capitol storming has uh, brought uh, this back to the fore a bit. Um, the media has focused uh, some on QAnon symbolism uh, in, in the crowds. Um, how much should we read into, into that? Um, should there be an association between conspiracy thinking and uh, potential for political violence? Um, and, and how much do we know about the, the specific role of QAnon or conspiracy thinking in, in what happened? So my view is that we're getting off track once we start blaming QAnon for the Capitol riot. I mean, were there some QAnon followers there? Yes. But there was a lot of non-QAnon people there, too, as far as we can tell. I mean, January 6th happened because you had the President of the United States, along with his supporters in Congress and the Senate, and his supporters in the conservative media saying for months on end that the election would be rigged and then was rigged. And you had um, the president's uh, campaign infrastructure, his lawyers, they gave talks and they were encouraging people to go and do this. So blaming anyone but Trump and his, in, in his supporters in government and the media for this completely misses the point. 
I mean, a good comparison is with with is between January sixth and March fourth. March fourth was QAnon's day, supposedly for when they were going to go and do another riot and take back the government for Trump. Well, without Trump and senators and representatives and you know the mainstream media to support that day, nobody showed up. So, so what makes January sixth unique is that you had leaders in government telling their followers to go to this place on this date and do this thing. And we shouldn't be blaming anyone but them at this point. One reading um, of the, the Capitol riot is that th- that's sort of who we should concentrate on, that um, you know, you guys are looking at these broad respondents, but it's really the people that we, we need to understand who might uh, take matters into their own hands are the, the people who show up and do the, the shootings or the people who uh, organize into to, to militias um, where these belief systems uh, have, have real um, uh, political and, uh, and violent consequences. Uh, another reading is that, um, what was important in January 6th was that a whole bunch of people in the crowd who didn't go there intending to, uh, enact a, a, a violent episode, um, were kind of caught up in the moment and that maybe some of these, um, uh, more, more diffuse sentiments that, that you have uh, been tracking, uh, might matter to, 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 people's willingness to, to take those actions. Do you side with either part of that story? Well, they didn't slip on a banana peel and show up in Washington, D.C. You know, they were, they were told to be there at this date and this time to do this thing by high-profile politicians and by their allies in, in the media. So it, it, you can think of conspiracy theorists in, in this way. It's, it's kind of like herding cats. They're not really going to get into a straight line and go to one particular place unless you have somebody really directing them uh, pretty strongly. And and we had that. You know, I've had conversations with with um, with agents in DHS um, over the last few months, and it was they were living in this fantasy world and doing you know theater. I mean, they have task forces who are charged with figuring out who's spreading all these conspiracy theories about election fraud and COVID. And I'm like, well, it's your boss. It's the president of the United States who's doing it. And they say, well, let's say hypothetically that a politician was spreading these conspiracy theories. Well, it's not hypothetic. It, this is real. This is what's happening. And, and everyone's trying to pretend as if it wasn't the government, members of the government doing this, Right. So it, 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 once you get away from from affixing blame to Trump, um, you, you are you're finding factors that are at best ancillary to this. I mean, that's not to say that we shouldn't be concerned about militia members or or whatnot. I mean, clearly they were activated, but Trump spent the last five years building a coalition of people who are conspiracy minded, and. This is the end result, is he, he built a coalition of these folks with these views, views that are, are often on our surveys uh, correlated with um, the acceptance of violence against government. He got them to a particular place at a particular time, got them all riled up, and set them free. So, Adam, one way to see that is that um, you all are doing a bunch of debunking, and it should cause us to uh, think that this is less important than we than we thought of uh, before. That is, um, 
there's always been this uh, current out there. Um, it doesn't really cause people to decide between the two political sides. Um, it is only it only matters when it's activated by uh, p- political officials. Um, so is that all a, a reason to to think? this kind of thinking in the public is, is overemphasized um, uh, or is there, is there something, some other reason we should be paying uh, a lot of attention? Um, I think it probably is on average overemphasized. Um, That's not to say that there can't be, you know, political consequences for conspiracy theories. Um, I think, you know, the more that politicians um, and media give airtime to conspiracy theories, the more important they're going to become. Um, conspiracy theories that sort of um, become mainstream vis-a-vis elite attention probably exacerbate polarization and negative affect toward outgroups. So that's a negative social consequence. Um, I think it's I think it's still generally a a bad thing, right? A, you know, a problematic thing normatively that people are detached from politics, right? So um, it's it's one thing to productively critique facets of the establishment. Uh, it's another thing to think that a large contingent of political elites are Satan worshiping pedophiles, right? Um, so, you know, the, the more people opt out of politics, the less they'll be represented. So, you know, there are still consequences to this. But um, I guess, you know, the way that Joe and I think about it is that, um, you know, people do have this belief system, these deep seated predispositions. And this isn't just a question of uh, scrubbing Twitter of weird ideas or, you know, getting in there and, you know, so-called correcting, uh, you know, misinformation or beliefs in dubious ideas. We need to think more carefully about why people have these, these deep seated orientations and, um, and whether there's something to do about that, uh, or whether it's just something to be more sort of managed um, than than corrected. And anything positive? Uh, I mean, some people would say we, we do have large levels of political inequality. We do have a large surveillance state. We do have increasing ways uh, to, to, to be watched and, and tracked. And maybe people are realizing that uh, over time. Any, any comment on that? Well, I think... Um, you know, we conceive of um, conspiracy thinking as a predisposition, as um, you know, as a as a continuum, um, as we do with lots of other things. Um, so I think you know we tend to focus on the high end, but um, I would argue that it's it would also be problematic if people were really low um, in in conspiratorial thinking or you know extra supportive of. Uh, the political establishment, right? So we don't want people to uncritically accept things that politicians say, right? Uh, We still want them to be discerning and hold um, elected leaders accountable. Um, So, you know, it's not sort of all necessarily doom and gloom. I think there's a fine line um, between skepticism, um, you know, which is to say, um, you know, this, this, um, discernment um, and, um, you know, a willingness to overturn beliefs once some even-handed burden of proof has been met um, and conspiracy theorizing, which is um, sort of believing in inherently uh, unfalsifiable and unscientific ideas that could never be, you know, that could never be disproven and end up ultimately being unproductive. 
Joe, where do we go uh, from here? What are you going to be uh, looking for in the in the years uh, ahead and, and anything you want to tout about the next steps? Well, we'll be continuing our efforts at polling. Um, I think there are a few things that have to be done. Is one, we have to figure out ways to track these across multiple countries, across different political contexts, and discover ways for doing that better. I mean, right now it's really hard to compare conspiracy theory theorizing across different countries because they mean different things in different places. And, and maybe there's something that we can find that would sort of give us measurements across different contexts. Um, another thing too is just tracking these beliefs over time more and, and seeing how they evolve over longer periods of time. We've only been on this for a decade and I think it's going to take maybe a few more decades um, to, to, to really understand the time trends a little bit more than we do now. There's a lot more to learn. The Science of Politics is available bi-weekly from the Niskanen Center and part of the Democracy Group Network. I'm your host, Matt Grossman. Thanks to Joseph Uzinski and Adam Enders for joining me. Please check out their articles and then listen in next time. <laughs>